uh, finishing up a, a four-part series called Blurred Lines. Everybody say, Blurred Lines. Come on, say it again to the neighbor next to you. Say, Blurred Lines. There you go. And the premise of this series, that we were working from the thought process that um, our culture and media and education system seems to be a little confused about some of the critical components in reference to life. And so what we said, let's look at those things in light of the eyes of Jesus through his holy word. Um, you know, I, as I've gotten older, it's a little harder for me to see. And so I need to put on my glasses because everything gets blurry. And so what we were trying to do is put on the Jesus glasses, the word of God, and see these things as it relates to what God said. And so we started with, first and foremost, we started with, you know, where did we come from? You know, how, how did we get here? Where, where did we come from? And we, uh, you know, as if you remember, if you were with us, those that weren't, we, we identified that uh, 57% of the population believes in evolution, that we came from uh, an explosion in the atmosphere somehow, and then here we are as intelligent beings. And, um, and then we said, but what does the Bible really say about that? And as we dug in, we, we realized that uh, there's this beautiful passage in Colossians that says, for in him, excuse me, by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Say it with me, by him and for him. So you're created by him and you're created for him. And then the next week we went into the question, so don't all religions lead to heaven? Which is a populist pluralism. It's a popular concept in the United States today, especially with all, you know, all of our, uh, you know, our young adults and 20s and 30s and the whole you know, the hipster crowd. Well, surely, surely you know, uh, my Muslim friends are going to get to heaven because they're so devoted. And surely you know, all the people doing Zen worship is going to get to heaven. And, and all these people, at least Oprah says it's true. And so surely all those things work, right? That's more of a, that would be a more intellectual uh, approach to what is truth. And, uh, and so we said, well, let's look at that in reference to Scripture. And uh, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So there's no other way. And so we looked at that, and then, of course, we did some seminars to supplement those things. And then last week, you were so courageous to come back. I'm so proud of it. I didn't know if it would be me and just a couple of you that, that I forced to come. But uh, we, we began to hit the topic, since we're talking about blurred lines and what's confusing, we hit the topic of sexuality. And, uh, and the confusion that seems to permeate our country, uh, even within the church, and what do we do with that? What, what does that look like? And what, what does the Word of God say about sexuality? And we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, uh, everybody's talking about 4% of the population, quote, uh, who are gay, transsexual, bisexual, whatever, um, and their sexual sin. But what about uh, the heterosexual sin that's much bigger than that and much more prevalent even in the church? And so we looked at those scriptures and, and saw what the Lord had to say about it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what's one of our key verses, verse 3, it says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathens do who don't know God. And, uh, and then we went to the next passage, and we looked at Galatians 5, which kind of laid out some of the sinful natures and listed sexual morality and some other things and being rash and, and brutal and so forth. But then we looked at Colossians chapter 3. I want to make note of this one real quick before we move into today's lesson. And that is verse 5. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these... The wrath of God is coming. Now, we qualified that because a lot of preachers have used that to bombard you in that moment with guilt and, and uh, instead of actually putting it in proper perspective. What Paul's saying here to the Colossians is this. He's saying the wrath of God is coming. It's been ordained and set into place. 
there's a point on the calendar where the wrath of God is coming. Listen, Colossian Christians. Listen, because the wrath of God is coming, do not sign yourself up back into the old holy camp that you came out of. Don't go back into your old ways, your old sinful ways. Get out of the sexual immorality, all the perversion, all the wicked. Come out of that because there's, there's, a, there's a moment where judgment's going to come and the wrath of God's going to be poured out. You don't want to be a part of that. Come back to right living with the living God. That's what he's talking about, which is a total different concept than, see, there you did it. Wow! There's the wrath of God. Or like we approached last week, um, okay, so I was looking at porn, and then my daughter got in a car accident, and so that's God's wrath on me because, because I was looking at porn, so he almost killed my daughter, which is a false doctrine. But that's where they get that from, that concept. And so we were approaching that and saying, hey, that's not true. That's not our God. That's not what he looks like. That's not how he acts, and that's how, not how he interacts with us. And so as we jump in today, the real topic with today's teaching, a real topic for today's message is how are we going to love those who are in sexual morality in the days ahead. How are we going to do that? How are we going to interact? How are we going to love? What is that going to look like? And, and I thought it would, it would be beneficial to you to kind of know where I'm coming from a little bit. See, um, I am the product of sexual morality. Um, my mom got pregnant with me at 16. I, I never knew my natural father. Uh, I'm sure that she thought she was in love with him at 16. I'm positive she thought that. And once he realized he had had these couple interactions with this young girl and gotten her pregnant, and now she's going to keep that baby, he didn't want to have anything to do with that situation. So was it love or was it just lust or what was it? It was sexual morality. My mom didn't know God. Of course, we came to Christ. I brought my mom to church. She got, I got saved. brought my mom to church. She got saved. And, uh, and then her boyfriend came, and uh, he got radically saved. And before you know it, we were family. And God took the brokenness of my life, and, and he gave me a, a father. He gave me a, a stepdad. It was a good man. He's, he's a great man. You guys have gotten to see Pop a few times. And God did something transforming in my life. And as we got radically saved, uh, we, started, we were at a, at a denominational church, and, man, we were just loving God, and it was awesome and cool and neat. And, 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 and then someone told us a couple years into it about power. You mean that we could raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out devils like Jesus did? Oh, absolutely. You mean there's a power to help us overcome our own sexual deviant behavior that's still in my flesh? Yeah. What? And when we found out about that power, we asked for it and we received. And so that caused us to switch churches, obviously, because the church we were going to then wasn't like that. Kind of like a church, we went to a new church, kind of like the one you're sitting in today. And so we were so excited. We started, we started, man, people were getting healed. People were getting delivered in our midst. It was unbelievable. I would come home from football practice, and mom would be in the living room laying hands on people. Dad singing and worshiping. The presence of God is there. And I'm like, are we, are we going to eat dinner? Minister all night long, huh? And so uh, all the neighbors were getting saved on each side. I mean, it's just powerful, just unbelievable. And we were bringing them to church, man, and they were having family problems, so the pastor was so gracious and kind to counsel them, and they were always going up there to counsel with him and things like that. And about a year and a half into it, we didn't know this could happen. We had been wicked, and we'd gotten radically saved, and now we've got this power, and we didn't know that the pastor would give himself to having sex with the ladies that we were bringing adulterous affairs with them. They were new in the faith and had no idea it was wrong. And when we came to that revelation, that's what he was doing. It rocked us. His sexuality and his sexual immorality affected our lives. We bounced around from beat up, nasty church, and we didn't even know if God was even real anymore. It confused us. Are you with me? 
they confused us. And we didn't know what to do. And we ended up at Bethany World Prayer Center. Where we saw character and integrity. Reinvigorated our hope that, wait a minute, you can be men and women of God and not be consumed with sexuality and lack of character and all these difficulties. Then I got hired on there as Pastor Rick Bezet's assistant who's here with us today. You're going to hear from him at the end of the service. I want him to greet us at the end because I forgot. <laughs> Just saying. And, uh, and I, I, I became his assistant. We started working with young people and, and uh, you know, I, I, I started working with junior high kids and, and I, was, I was dumbfounded that 11, 12, 13, 14-year-olds were sexually active. Going to church, I, 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 I would sit and counsel with them, and, and, and to hear the horror stories of being molested by their cousin or their dad or their this person. And as I'm loving on them and ministering to them and finding out that, that they have this bend towards homosexuality and, and they're confused and they don't know why, but they and everybody calls them gay, so they must be or a fag or whatever, and so they must be. And, and trying to minister to all of this stuff and in the church and and, and, and then and, and trying to figure out how do we how do we overcome these things? And and yes, this is your flesh, but the Lord and, and so our so our, our typical counsel uh, would fit something like this when they would be in some kind of sexual sin, we'd ask them to repent. And we'd pray with them and they would repent and turn from that. And then then what we would do is we'd get them accountability partners so they wouldn't go back into that porn or that, you know, molesting their little brother or whatever it was. And then and then we'd teach them spiritual warfare so they could overcome it when the temptation hit again. And we'd teach them spiritual warfare. But then I, as we did that, and, and that worked sometimes, and it was good counsel, it's biblical counsel, but then I would find that there was this breakdown somewhere along the line. And sometimes I'd find these guys going right back into it a year later, two years later, whatever, and... It's like all of the effort and energy and all of them praying and binding demons and being accountable, but they're not being accountable and they're supposed to be accountable and all these issues. And it came to bring me to a place that there's got to be a missing link in some of this. There's got to be something missing. And I'll tell you, years ago, I came upon this passage that God spoke to me and it made it clear to me. And I want you to turn there with me today quickly to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, it says it like this. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the craving of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now look how this is laid out. The scripture talks about there's a, a love of the world, and then there's a love of the Father. And literally, it's, it's showing us that they oppose each other. In fact, it says it so strong that if you love the world, then the love of the Father can't be in you. That's how opposing they are. And so it lists out what the loving of the world looks like. Look how it puts it in there. It listed out the cravings of the sinful man. Wow. And then it lists out the lust of the eyes. Now, in Old Testament terms, anytime they use the lust of the eyes, they were always talking about sexual immorality. Always talking about perversion. They're always talking about adultery, premarital sex. And when talking about the lust of the, that's the term that they would use. And so it's used here, Paul's using this, or excuse me, John's using this here to say, listen, this is all a part of sexuality, craving of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and then the boasting of what he has and what he does. And he says, the, this, is, this is what the world love looks like. And here's, here's the thing that I found, guys, over the years. See, see, every one of us are searching for love. That's what this thing is all really about. 
And so sexuality is just the result of trying to find love. And in our world that we live in, where we're surrounded, we, we've been taught that love is sex. That love is, love is in pleasure. Love, love is this, this intimacy with someone of the same sex. And if that's not good, then the opposite sex. Or, or, or maybe this thing over here. And it ends up somehow always in sexuality in our culture. And what God is saying here in His Holy Scripture, in verse 1, is like, listen, listen, there is a love... There is a love that, that sexual love and sexual interaction could never even come close to comparing. It's the love of the Father. The premise of all love is love of the Father. The, what, how we know what love is, the Bible says, is because God is love. He is the foundation. Like I'm standing on the stage, I can build whatever I want from this place if my foundation is strong. And the foundation of love is God. How we even know what love should be comes from God. So when the world says that love is, is sex and love is, it, it looks like this and it acts like this what the bible actually says it is it says it's patient it's kind it's gentle first corinthians 13 it's long suffering keeps no record of wrong that's what love looks out played out when you have the love of the father and i'm telling you what the missing element is is the love of the father because i can get you trying to be accountable with accountability partner but you still don't have a revelation of daddy love you still don't have a revelation of who you are in christ you don't know who you are so you'll chase after whatever you can because there's this void inside of every one of us to find love. There's this thing that God made us with. That it's like a homing device that draws us back to Him. And we'll go around the world trying to figure it out before many times we'll turn and realize, oh my God, it's you. It's you. You are the center of what love is. And this passage is talking about this worldly love versus the Father's love. And I would even say so strong as this, as many of us grew up, you know, Pastor Rick and I were talking about this the other day, just about a fatherless generation. And, uh, and, no, and, 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 you know, no slight to any of you dads in the room that, you know, maybe didn't know how to be a dad or, you know, had this concern because you've got, you know, kids that don't like you anymore or whatever that may be. Listen, let me tell you something. We all, in some state or another, need to learn the Father's love all over again. And when we look at a fatherless generation like we're raising in this era, like never before, that void is there that they don't they don't know what a real dad love looks like in fact it's been so deviant that in our culture and the moment i start really feeling affection to towards you at some point it's going to end in sexuality that's where we get molestation that's where we're getting this incest stuff that's where we're getting the homosexual stuff and all these transgender stuff it's because you know what i didn't find love in heterosexual there so i'm going to go try to find it in homosexual i didn't find love in the church so i'm going to go find it outside there i I didn't find it there but i'm still looking friend let me tell you what we're looking for we're looking for the love of the father we're looking for a love that is undeniable we're looking for a base from which all things comes from and that is why we were yet sinners He loved us. He didn't wait for us to be good. He loved us. We are His and He is ours. This is the love that the world lacks and many in the church lacks and doesn't even know it's there. They don't even know what they're looking for. They're going to church because church must be a good place. No, no, no. What you need, friend, is the love of the Father. I sat with a man a couple years ago. He sat across from me. A tape mate set an appointment with me and he and I had been interacting and playing some sports together and things like that. He he was a backslidden Christian. He told me he grew up in church. He went to Bible school, lost his way, didn't want to serve God anymore and he got himself in multiple situations and marriages and blah 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 and he said across from me he said i'm back into alcoholism and my wife says if something doesn't change that she's going to kick me out i know i need to change and what do you say i need to do and i so i waited for a second i went to respond he goes i know i need to come to church i said no i said you don't need to come to church he goes well no no i know if i'm faithful to church then somehow that'll change it all no you need to know god 
because all you'll do is get bored. It'll be another duty coming to church that you can't keep up with. And it becomes dead religion to you. I said, what you need is God in your life. And I want to pray with you right now. He goes, well, I already prayed and I asked God to forgive me of my sins. I said, well, then have you asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And that's when he cut me off. I said, son, that's your problem. I said, son, he's a grown man. I said, sir, that's your problem. Is that you don't want the gift that he has for you to overcome all of these things. So, I mean, he loves you so much that he gave you the ability to overcome if you'll just receive. And so that's where the conversation stopped. Friend, we're looking for the love of God. Can I explain this to you in a way that maybe makes some more sense? When we haven't been raised with good father figures and good father love, that kind of skews our love for God the Father. We don't really know what it looks like. We don't know how to interact with it, you know? It's amazing to watch some of my, my, uh, my kids' friends come over and they don't know how to interact with, with a dad, you know? And I'm like, hey, guys, what's up? Hey, Mr. McCain. <laughs> hey, bro, come here, man. Give me a hug. Um, oh, we, we don't really hug in my house. My dad's never done that. Oh, this is weird. You're not gay, are you? I'm like, no, dude, come here. Come here. And I think, I think what's happened is, so when you don't have father love, then you're looking for any kind of love, and it ends up in sexual love. And I kind of can prove that by way of what we see in the life of David. King David, obviously, is one of the greatest men of characters in the Bible. He's considered a man after God's own heart. And um, he wrote many of the Psalms, as you know them. And so let's just do a quick character sketch. We'll put it up on the board. We'll just kind of do a quick look of his life and the sexual history of David's family. When we look in 2 Samuel, uh, chapters 11 and 12... David, who's now king, he's reigning, he's ruling, he's, all the wars are over, and it's time for him to go out to battle. He doesn't, and he ends up staying behind. Y'all know the story, some of you. And he looks across his kingdom, and there's a woman bathing on top of a roof named Bathsheba, and he commands his guys to go get her, brings her in, and he has sex with her. He has an adulterous affair with her. She's a married woman. He doesn't care. He wants her. He wants her. And then we see later that he, she becomes pregnant. He tries to hide that pregnancy by bringing her husband in off the battlefield. The husband won't have sex with her. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm faithful to the kingdom. We're in battle mode. We can't be going home having conjugal visits. And David's like, oh, now what am I going to do? So he puts him back out on the field, calls all the troops to pull back. He gets killed by the attacking army. And then he takes Bathsheba and, of course, then the, son, the, the, the child ends up dying. So it's an amazing part of his sexual inappropriate behavior. From there, we see that in David's family, he's got multiple wives. So he's got children from from these different wives. And we see that his, his one son, Amnon, falls in love with his half-sister, Tamar. And he tricks her, acting like he's sick, to come and, and, and give him her special stew. And so he has her lock the door and comes into his chamber, and he rapes her. When Absalom, Tamar's full brother finds out about it, and that David has done nothing about it. Why? Because David continues to live in his guilt of his sexual sin from the past. And so when David finds out about it and doesn't do anything, and then Absalom finds out about it and that that dad didn't do anything, he goes and he kills Amnon, which splits him off from the kingdom. David, years later, brings him back in, but he's got this bitter root inside of him. So what what does Absalom do? He begins to tear the kingdom away from David and ends up raising up an army, running his own father out of his palace. As David is fleeing and Absalom's coming in, all of his advisors say to him, listen, all the concubines and wives that David has left, all of his, David's wives, all of your dad's wives and concubines that he's left behind, have sex with them. That'll seal the deal. Come on, somebody say sexually messed up. That's what that is. And so he does. 
And then ultimately, you know, he ends up, you know, being thrown back out and da-da-da-da, the story all comes on. And then Solomon actually takes David's place, his son that's so wise. He's so wise, yeah. A thousand wives and concubines. That's sexually got to be inappropriate at some level. I don't know. That's just messed up. So you see this history of sexual inappropriateness in this man's family. You say, Pastor Adam, what do you think that's the result of? I'll tell you what I think that's the result of. See, Jesse, David's father, David says of himself in the Psalms, I was born in sin. And most scholars say that, what that what, how they translate that, that comment is that David was born out of wedlock. In other words, Jesse had sex with this woman that he wasn't married to. She conceived, and so then he had to bring her on into the family. And so he's conceived in sin. In other words, they weren't married. It wasn't an appropriate relationship. And so as a result, when the prophet comes, because God says one of Jesse's sons is to be king, Jesse didn't even let David go out there. He hid him because he was embarrassed of him because that's what he did in sin. Come on, sexual sin. So as a result of never having Jesse be a dad to him, never embrace him and treat him as special and be the, key, be the kid that he loved, and, and David didn't do anything to deserve this, because of this you see that somewhere in David's DNA, somewhere in his workings, was this thing looking for love in all the wrong places. And he finds it in the arms of Bathsheba. The sexual sin just about destroys him. God has grace and mercy on him. Friend, I would say to us, all of us have been scarred to some kind of capacity like that. That each and every one of us need to come back to the place where we find the Father's love. Because, listen, I want you to understand how much God loves you. Let me define this for you for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Do you understand what an everlasting love? God has loved you with an everlasting love. He has loved you with an ever. You are his son. You are his daughter. He loves you. You need to stop walking in insecurity, doubt, and unbelief. You need to stop being all worried and trying to find love and some other fellow sweet love. you got the love of the Father. He loved you forever and ever and ever before you were ever created he picked you and he chose you he loves you and that love should secure you so you can walk into the room and say i'm god's special one i'm his daughter it don't i don't uh -uh, no sir you're not gonna have none of this right here because you're a pervert all i got is what god has for me and what he has for me is good look what this other passage says look real quick to isaiah 49 and 15 it says can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born Though she may forget, listen what God says, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Do you hear what God just said? For you guys who don't believe in tattoos, I have tattooed you on the palm of my hands. Listen, I have, I have, listen, I can't forget you because every morning I'm looking at you right there on the palm of my hands. Woo, that Adam McCain, I love that boy. Golly, that's my boy right there. Your name is engraved on, that's how much he loves you. You don't need to go find love and perversion in some kind of porn video. You don't need to find fulfillment of who you are in some relationship outside of your wife or your husband right now. Listen, he loves you. The love of the Father will destroy the love of the world if you'll just go after that. And too many times we're preaching, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, get accountable, don't do this, don't do this. And you're like, okay, I'm trying not to do it. Well, if you could stop doing it, you would. That's where the problem's at. What has to happen is you've got to detach from the love of the world and plug into the love of the Father. And all of a sudden, now you start knowing who you are in Christ. Now all of a sudden, that's not attractive to you. Now all of a sudden, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. I would not lose my church over some little broad... That's, you know, some little cute little thing when I've got the woman of all women 
the wife of my youth whom God gave. Why would I trade a moment of worldly love, pleasure, sexual stuff for all that God has done for me? Listen to me. You've misunderstood the love of the Father. And as a result of it, you've not cultivated that relationship. That's where the problem's at. It's not going to be more accountability. I'm telling you. It's not going to be more deliverance sessions. All the Pentecostals, we just got to cast the devil out of them. That's the problem. All the Baptist folks, you just need to read the Bible and pray more. You just need to read the Bible and pray more. All the Presbyterians, it's already been predetermined. You're going to go to hell anyway. I mean, it's that whole... Let me tell you what it boils down to. The love of the Father. Can I illustrate this for just a moment? One of the most amazing people in our church, someone I love so dear, was willing to give us their testimony. And I'd like to play that for just a moment for you. If you'll just sit back and enjoy, I think it'll help you. Hey, church, I'm sitting here with Miss Tamika... You know her as one of our uh, one of our key worship leaders and a great leader in our church. I love her so much. Jamie and I just are always so excited to spend time with Tamika, and she's encouraged us so much. And so, Tamika, you've always been in music. In fact, at 15 years old, you were traveling the nation as a rapper. Tell us about that. Yeah, I got started with a PID, Preachers in the Sky. I remember those. Those are the best. <laughs> Christian rap, yeah. They were like the original... They were the run DMC of the Christian music. They really were. Yes. It was amazing. And yes. so, yeah, I mean, you're 15. I mean, you're cutting albums. And you're yep. looking at a big record deal. Yeah, I was real close at a record deal. And, and I just didn't get to sign the papers. What happened? Well, when I was 15, I was in a relationship. And I lost my virginity. And I just I decided not to continue. Once this moment came out that you're like, oh, my goodness, I got, I, I've been doing this. And you stopped moving forward in the career for, for music. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Yeah. I didn't want to be a hypocrite, so I just didn't feel good at continuing. So you just cut it off? Yeah, and I just told my parents uh, I just don't have a passion for it. And so so you went on with the Lord, mm-hmm. went on with life, yes. and in uh, high school and college, tell me about those things. I started a career, and, for, and you know, throughout those years, I, I continued with different relationships and uh, long-term relationships, and then se- the sexual part became important in it just kind of, it kind of became where the relationships ended up. Right. With you. So, so you broke up with this first guy that mm-hmm. you, and that probably was heartbreaking. Yes, it coming was. Coming out of high school. Yes, and it, it was. And then and mom and dad then say, hey, would you come help us with the ministry? Yes. Um, I had been a part of their ministry since I was 12, and they they said, hey, we want you to be youth pastor, and I accepted. And so and so somewhere in that process, you, you met another fellow that you really felt like you yeah, it, it was a guy that I'd known since I was 12. We had been in and out of each other's lives, just as friends. And then we decided to date when I was 21. Um, and uh, then he moved in, and we, be, we became sexual. Subsequently, we, we, became, we got pregnant, so uh, I was terrified. I, I mean, even though I was in my 20s, I, I still, you know, I had the position, and I didn't want to disappoint. yeah. Right, and so... Uh, uh, he didn't want to have a baby because he knew that my parents probably forced us to get married and whatnot. And just the guilt drove me to mm-hmm. abortion. And so I had an abortion. Immediately, I, the depression hit me. Uh, I just I could not deal with what I had done. And uh, I made a vow to God that if I find myself in this situation again, I would not go that route. And somehow uh, over the next months and years or so, you guys then broke it off and were yeah. in a relationship anymore. 
right. so you just went on with your life and mm -hmm. kind of felt like you had a new start. We crossed paths again and decided that we we're going to be friends mm -hmm. and it turned into something serious and we uh, started started right back up where we left off. I'm in my mid-30s and you know I always had a great love for him so yeah. I just thought maybe he's the one you yeah. know and so uh, then I became pregnant again mm -hmm. and I I knew right away I needed to tell somebody so that I could be held accountable and I told my sister and she ministered to me, supported me, and she said, I'm gonna, I'll go with you when you tell mom and dad. Because that was been your great fear. That was the greatest fear, even in, in my mid-30s, that I had to tell my pastor and my father uh, that I was you respected pregnant. Him so I respected, I respected both of them. I knew I was gonna lose my position as a youth pastor because of what I had done. Uh, you can't hide a pregnancy, so I knew it was just gonna be very embarrassing for them. Um, to the other members in the church, or other pastors yeah. uh, that they're, they're friends with. So, um, but that's not what he did. That's not what they did. They showed me support. They showed me love. They built me what up. What was his opening statement when you, or what was his response when you said, "This is what I've done." We're gonna get through this together. We're gonna get through this together, and we're gonna go before the people and let them know what's going on together. Together. And so that Sunday, he stood before the church and had a meeting with the leaders and the church people and said, hey, I'm not going to sugarcoat. Um, my daughter's pregnant. Uh, she's not married. Uh, we're going to just support her, lift her up. And, uh, and then he said, I'm, I just want to apologize to my daughter in front of everyone because I feel like as a, her pastor, as a father, something went lacking. So, so people did leave the church, yeah. and uh, and that's that's uh, that's a little heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. But you experienced your mom and dad's love mm -hmm. as leaders in the church. They loved you. Uh, yes, there had to be you know pull you out of that leadership position, but you felt their love. You felt the rest of the church's love yes. around you. And really, Josh wasn't an accident. God used your son to not only change you. Yes. But also, I mean, your dad, I guess, passed away a year and a half later. A year and a half after Joshua was born, he passed away. And my mom uh, made a comment that has stuck with me ever since, is that if you ever doubt that he has a purpose, uh, that God has a purpose for Joshua, it's remember this, is that he's here for me. Because she was going through such a hard time losing, losing your, my dad. Yeah. yeah. And, that and Josh was, was that beam of light for right, her. Right, bringing her joy and, mm. and, and filling in the gap, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. And so he was not an accident. No. He has a purpose. That's right. And, and he's just a joy. And what the <laughs> devil meant for evil, God turned around for good. Amen. And yes, it's he transformed did. all of our lives. Thanks for sharing your testimony. Thank you, Pastor. I think it's going to help us all. Come on, isn't that powerful? So... So we can't act like it's not amongst us. Can't act like we don't all struggle. I think that's what's hindered us from being able to minister to the world. It's because we've acted as though we had it all together. Friend, we don't have it together. We just got the one who has it all together, living and abiding in us, right? Come on, somebody. And so my challenge to us today is that we should fall back in love with the Father as our single desire and our single love. Now, what are we going to do how are we going to love this con sexually confused generation? What does that look like? Well, I want to take some of what Misty taught us last week and Tamika this week, and I want to help you, even from a spiritual, spirit, uh, scriptural basis, on what we should do from this point forward in loving those who are struggling with their sexuality, whether it be in the church or outside of the church. Number one, write this down real quickly, please. Number one is that we need to love them through the love of the Father. 
We need to love them through the love of the Father. Listen, it's easy to be mad at somebody you don't know. But when it's your kids struggling with homosexuality, it's amazing how gracious you become. See, the Father loves all his creation. He loves us all. He would that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. We need to love not only the folks in the church, but the people outside the church. Well, through the love of the Father, what God looks at them, and He doesn't see a, a transvestite. He sees a boy who was, who was broken it's somewhere along the way, and it's confused, and it's hurting, and, and, and He loves him as much as He loves you and me who maybe grew up in church and never had any of these experiences. He loves in deep love. He says, I love you with an everlasting love. That's what He's saying to His church. What do you think He feels for the lost and the dying? That He would send His only begotten Son, that and whosoever would believe on him could eternal have eternal life. Friend, he loves the lost and the dying. He loves those of us in the church that are struggling. We need to love one another and the world through the eyes and the feelings and the nurture and the care of the Father. That kind of love. That's what's been missing. It's so easy to talk bad about folks that you don't know until it's your own kid, until it's your own nephew, until it's that person that, that, you, that you worked with down the street. Because he didn't have a dad. So you brought him over and let him play basketball with your kids. And now he's messing around with multiple girls and got a couple of them pregnant. It's easier to write off somebody you don't know. But when it's somebody that you've been trying to help, it's someone you love, then, friend, it becomes personal. And it's always been personal to God. Wow. It's always been personal to God. Second thing, and that is we need to int- introduce them to the love of the Father. We don't need to introduce them to church. We don't need to introduce them to tithing. We don't need to introduce them. Listen, listen, I appreciate all those things. I mean, I appreciate all the things of repentance and all that. That's awesome. Let's introduce them to the love of the Father. Because this is the love that destroys the love of the world. This is the love. This is what they're looking for. This is what we all need. This is what we were all looking for. This is what the holes in our heart are needing to be filled with is the love of the Father. And this love, friend, will transform their life no matter how many church services you do or don't have. If they get a hold to the love of the Father and they fall in love with the living God and allow His love to pour down over them, all of that sin, all of that junk will just wash right off. All of their worldview will start changing because they're in love with him. See, I don't love, I don't serve him because I'm scared of going to hell. I serve him because he first loved me while I was yet a sinner. It's that response to his love that causes me to be here early, praying for you late into the night. It's not because I need a profession. It's not, I don't do this because, because somehow I get good pats on the back and make me feel good about myself. I do this because my daddy had need of it and because I love him because he first loved me because he's always, always been there. He's never left me or abandoned me. He will always care for us, and our names are engraved on the palms of His hands. Here's the third thing that we need to do, and that is we need to encircle those who are sexually confused. Encircle them. So what do you mean by that? Well, let's first and foremost, look at, look at what Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself least, you also be tempted. You know what happened? You know why Tamika's a woman of God? You know why she's standing on our stage leading us in worship? You know why she's a small group leader for us? It goes not back to her, weak, her weaknesses and her failures. It goes back to a mom and a dad. The moment that she was honest with them about what she was going through, and they said, baby girl, come here. We love you. We encircle you. 
we get you in here and we take care of you. And you know what that did? That caused all of the love of that world to be dim compared to the love of the father as her parents showed that. She was expecting, we talked about, she expected them to kick her out of the church. She expected, oh, she knew she was going to lose her position because she had been in a position serving the people and now she needed, she would gotten wounded so she needed to get out of that position. And she, but she thought then she would not be able to come to Christmas with mom and dad, that they might think, oh, you've embarrassed me and humiliated me. So as a result, you are shunned, you're outside of the circle of believers, you're outside of the circle of our family unit. Friend, let me tell you something. This is what's caused more people to walk away from the Lord. This is why they come to church and they never want to connect with the body because they don't feel the encirclement of the body when they're wounded. Can I explain something to you? I love nature stuff and I love when they when, when something in nature applies to something in the spiritual. I don't know if you know, but the elephant is the largest land mammal. When an elephant decides he's going to step on you, he's going to step on you. There's not too many things that elephants are scared of, but elephants, like anything else, have babies and they have wounds weak elephants in their midst and anytime there's a problem with them they do this thing called the elephant circle i want you to play that video footage and i'll explain it to you so in this particular footage uh, hippos you know are the most one of the most aggressive animals and in this particular footage you're right watching right now the elephants had a concern that the hippo was going to attack one of their smaller ones one of their weaker ones and look how they begin to circle look at that one back in its backside up in the circle putting the weak one the baby the one who's broken the one who doesn't understand all of our ways the one who hadn't gotten to a place of sanctification yet the one who's still confused about what's right and what's wrong what do they do they circled them they didn't kick them outside of the circle they put them within the circle and say, come on, all the enemies, you've got to get through us to get to what's weak and what's difficult. You go ahead and cut it off. And, 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 and what has the church has done so often is instead of encircling those who are struggling with their sexuality, instead of encircling them and saying, get in the middle of us, and those of us who are strong, those of us who are spiritual, those of us who know God and know the love of God and all of its strength, we are going to stand beside you, around you, encompass you, encircle you, so that no devil in hell can continue to confuse you or destroy you. Say, oh, but pastor, what if they won't let us? You circle them anyway, friend. You circle them in prayer if they won't let you circle them in real everyday life. You circle them and you circle them and you circle them until the enemy says, I can't get past anymore and I'm tired of Papa, Daddy stepping on me every time I try to get close and sticking those tusks inside of me. I'm going to leave them alone and then they can grow up in the nurture and the care of the circle. This is what's been broken in the body of believers. And this is why the law said... I found that love, that circle love, I found that in the homosexual community. I found that in the transgender community. I found that not at the church. I found it over here and I found it over there. Some of you did. You found it in the bar before you ever found it in the church. And this is the thing that we got to do different. This is the thing we got to do different. And the final piece, and I think this will help you, and that is this. We need to resist the movement, but embrace the individual. Resist the movement, but embrace the individual. Listen, I love my friends who are struggling with their sexuality. But we're not going to have no movement up in my school telling my kids that this is how life really is. And if they didn't mean it was God's mistake to make them a boy, he was supposed to be made a girl. And you're going to make that a part of the education system. I'm going to resist that. I'm going to resist that movement with all that I have. I'm going to resist every bit of movement to control and deviate away from the things of God. Whether I win or not, I'm resisting the movement. 
But let me tell you something. I'm going to embrace every individual who's hurting. I'm going to love them like they're God's only child. I'm going to encircle them if they'll allow me, and I'm going to love on them. Your friend, you say, well, well, I don't, is that scriptural? Yeah, let, let's look at what Jesus did with Nicodemus. Nicodemus Jesus resisted the Pharisees. He, re, he called them whitewashed tombs. He resisted the leaders of, of the day, the religious leaders. And, and he got so mad because they were using, the poor people were coming just to try to find God. And they would come to these feasts and they would come to these times of sanctification. And they'd come to these moments and they, and they would make them change out money and they would overcharge them. They'd make them buy little lambs that they, they had these businesses going on the side. And Jesus came in and said, this, my, my daddy's house will not be a house of money changing. And he kicks over the tables and he looks at them and he puts whips on them and he starts driving them out. He says, because my daddy's house will be a house of prayer. People can find the Father when they come here, not be shortchanged by you and done dirty by you religious leaders. And he got angry at them. But then when Nicodemus came to him in the night, one of these Pharisees, part of the Sanhedrin, said to them, are you really the Christ? For we know no one can do miracles like this except the Christ. And Jesus said, you must be born again. How do I get born again? What? I can't go back into my mother's womb. Nicodemus, your problem is you're still arguing theology. You don't know the God of the theology anymore. He's standing right in front of you. You can't even recognize him. And then, later, as the difficulty happens, who's fighting for Jesus? Nicodemus is. See, I want you to know something. We can resist the movement and embrace the individual. And God can still get honor in both. And we can stand and say, that's not right. But you are God's precious soul. And I, and I may not even understand why some of this is happening, but I want to introduce you to the love of the Father. Can I tell you something? When you and I take on the love of the Father, listen, I was a pervert before the love of the Father. I, I was selfish before the love of the Father. I, 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 it was all about me before the love of the Father. And it didn't happen all at once. It was a journey of point for me in sanctification. It, it just, I didn't just come to that revelation one day and go, you're right. No, it was still about me. Even in ministry at times, it was about me. And that love of the Father has permeated to be permeated, permeated to the place where I look a little bit more like Him and act a little bit more like Him. And you standing around because that person's a little effeminate in the church, shame on you. Circle them. Love on them. Help them. Stop standing in judgment of them. You know that guy is, is, is tempted to step out on his wife. Go circle him. Work with him. Get it out. Presenting the love of the Father in a fresh way and get him out of that selfish, worldly love that has controlled his life and causing him to destroy his marriage. Are you with me today? Say yes. Stand with me all across the room. You guys have been magnificent today. As I go to close, I want you to stand with me by... And I want to take a moment before the Lord. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me right where you stand for a moment. And just set everything that you have just kind of to the side. And as you bow your head and close your eyes with me today, I want you to let the Lord minister to you on this topic. I don't doubt that you love the Lord. You wouldn't have come here today if you didn't. But listen to me, Christian. Listen to me, believer. There's this battle going on for your affection. The world system is what it's talking about. It's not talking about the planet, continents. The world system. The craving of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and what he does. That's one love. Oh, and there's a, then there's the love of the Father who gave his only begotten Son, who loves us with an unending love. And as you stand here with your head bowed and your eye closed, a probably appropriate response to this message, right there under your breath, to just say to the Father, I'm so sorry. I haven't loved you to the depth that you've loved me. 
And I want to I wanna make a transition there. Would you just take a moment? It doesn't matter if you've been saved 100 years or you've been saved yesterday or you're still not saved. Would you just take a moment and say, the truth of the matter is, I haven't. I'm telling you, I haven't loved the Lord and understood the depth of that Father love like I want to understand. Would you ask him, say, would you reveal to me Father love? Beyond brother love, beyond friendship love, beyond sexual love, would you show me what Father love is really all about? Would you solidify my feet on that foundation that you love me and nothing else really matters? And from there, I can love others without being sexual. Father, I just thank you right now in Jesus' name, the name that's above every name, that each and every one of us are having a revelation of your love, the Father's love in in our hearts and our minds. For those of us that grew up, Lord God, without a a real picture of what a, a father's supposed to be, Lord, would you just be our father? Would you show us? Would you teach us? Would you draw us in even though we're scared? Would you talk to us in a way that we can understand? Now, as you keep your head bowed and your eye closed, if you're away from God today, I got good news. He's on the edge of his seat. He's hoping this will be the moment where you'll come to him. Like a dad who doesn't want to see his child hurt. That's how he waits on you. If you're away from the Lord today, you're not a Christian or you're away from God. I want to give you an opportunity to come back and know your God. You say, well, what do I do? You know, do I have to do certain Hail Marys? Do I have to give money to the church? No. Everything's already been done for you. Christ died on the cross. He paid every bit of the penalty. All you have to do is receive. The Bible says it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he will cleanse you and forgive you from all unrighteousness. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're away from God, you say, Pastor, that you're talking to me. Friend, that's not me telling you that your heart. That's the Lord. He's just using my little voice. I'm like a little puppet. That's him pulling on your heart. He loves you. He wants you back. You're just a moment away from making that relationship strong again. If the Lord's pulling at your heart, you say, Pastor, I'm away from God. I I, I need the Lord in my life. I'm so ashamed. Friend, let's pray together. If that's you, would you identify yourself by lifting your hand? No one's looking, just me and you. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm away from God. God bless you, sweetheart. Anyway, thank you, brother. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for your honesty. Say, pray for me. I don't don't feel like if I died today, I'd go to heaven, but I'm ready to make a change. Thank you, sir, for your honesty. Yep, God bless you. I see your hand through the thank you. God bless you for your honesty. Thank you, sir. You're a great man. Anybody? Thank you, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, brother about three or four more seconds say pastor pray for me it's time it's time I'm tired of running I'm tired of living like this it's, it's my time I got to give myself back to the Lord I want that love of that father active in my life like I know I like I know I need anybody else two seconds one amen you can put your hands down now those of you that lifted your hand I'm going to lead you in a prayer there's nothing magical about the words with supernatural is that you lifted your hand all I'm going to do is like two friends at a party and I'm going to bring you to Jesus Christ, I'm going to introduce you and I'm going to step out of the way and y'all will go become best friends in this moment. I'm going to lead you in that prayer. In fact, I'd like everyone in the, in the congregation to say this prayer out loud with those who lifted their hands. Say it with me like this. Say, Jesus, you can do a little bit better. Jesus, today I surrender. My life, my wants, my desires, I surrender them to you. And I declare, Jesus is my Lord. I ask you to cleanse me from all of my sin. I ask you to write my name 
in your book of life. And here and now, I receive your love and your forgiveness. And I belong to you all the days of my life. If you'll keep your head bowed for a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand. I pray right now they would experience the Father's love. That they would know in their knower, in the inside of who they are, that it's all good. That it's all taken care of. That they would, they would hold to the truth that it's all been done and God is so good and, and, and He does love me and I am forgiven and I'm His. That Lord God, right now, that your, their names are being tattooed, if you will, on the palm of your hand because they belong to you. If you don't mind, would you join hands with that person next to you all across the room? I have friends, relatives, people who are in a sexually confused state. Maybe your nephew has bounced around from broken relationship to broken relationship. Kids all over the place. Maybe, maybe you have a, a son or a daughter who's struggling with their sexuality. I don't know if they want to be a, a boy or a girl. Can we do what we learned today? Can we... Could we, could we encircle them if in nothing else? Could we do that in prayer? Would you do that with me for the next 60 seconds? Whoever it is, you cry it out because there's a corporate anointing here. Something will break forth in the spirit. Father, we pray right now for friends, relatives, those we love, even those in our own midst and here in the church, oh God. Lord God, we just encircle them in prayer and ask them, Lord, pour out the Father love on them. Lord God, that they what they're looking for, they're not going to find it in this world system or in the love of this world. But Lord, they'll find it in you. Father, I pray you would turn their attention to you. Break in on their situation, oh God. Lord God, use a believer. Lord God, lose someone who knows you, oh God, to show them your love, to know your love, oh God, so that they can see how deep, how far, how wide is your love for them, oh God. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that, Lord God, you would give us words of knowledge and words of wisdom and working of miracles on their behalf, oh God. I pray right now for transformation to happen in a way that's unprecedented. I ask you right now, oh God, for every man and woman that I have loved over the years that have confused themselves, Lord, that have been an adult affairs and still don't know how to get out of that cycle I pray right now a breakthrough in Jesus name and I thank you God that you love your people and though this be a tough difficult subject to broach in the body of believers we must be authentic and real and we must come before the Lord and say help and God pour out your love let father love drown out every bit of worldly love and lust and perver- drown it out oh God to where we look and don't even want it. It doesn't even appeal, appeal to us anymore, oh God. And that way we may be able to love through the love of the Father. Those who are hurting. And Lord God, we do thank you for your goodness.